The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Speaker Pelosi has beat the political odds and reclaimed the gavel. We're talking right now about 2024 jockeying amongst Republicans. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. The only way things happen is if Republicans and Democrats work together. Unfortunately for President-elect Biden, this is a time when he's getting the most support he's going to get in the Democratic Party. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. The New York Times reports that leader Mitch McConnell is said to be pleased about impeachment. Plus, what did President Trump have to say to reporters today? We've got every angle covered just shortly before coming on air. Uh, there was a major headline moving from the New York Times that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is reportedly pleased with regards towards the House's impeachment process. The House is expected to vote on impeachment tomorrow. Reading from J. Martin, Maggie Haberman in The Times, quote, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has told associates that he believes President Trump's committed impeachable offenses and that he is pleased that Democrats are moving to impeach him, believing that it will make it easier to purge him from the party. According to people familiar with the thinking, the House is voting on Wednesday to formally charge Mr. Trump with inciting violence against the country. We've got sound on this from President Trump, who spoke this morning before he left for Texas, telling reporters that his address last Wednesday to followers in Washington, he urged those followers to march to the Capitol, where a riot ensued was just fine. Take a listen. They've analyzed my speech and my words and my final paragraph, my final sentence, and everybody to the T thought it was totally appropriate. At least a dozen Republicans in the House of Representatives are expected to vote with Democrats to impeach the president. The president also commented on the South Lawn this morning before leaving for Texas about what he described was the moments before the riot ensued. Here's sound on that. For Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer to continue on this path, I think it's causing tremendous danger to our country and it's causing tremendous anger. 
pretty and, and, if, and we are joined now by Rick Davis, who is a partner at Stone Court Capital, and we'll be getting his analysis uh, throughout the hour. But I want to turn now to our guest, to our producer, Christine Barada, just told me has now joined us, Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger. She is a Democrat from Virginia. Congresswoman, you hear the, the developments in the times in which Leader McConnell, citing anonymous sources, is reportedly pleased about the impeachment proceedings for tomorrow. And of course, I'm sure you've, you're now familiar with the comments from President Trump this morning. Your reaction tonight? Um, you know, I, I, I'm astounded by the, uh, the comments of the president, the absolute lack of responsibility that he's taking. There were people raiding the Capitol saying they were there because President Trump sent them. Uh, he said, go to the Capitol. Um, I, you know, I, I, it's, it's completely consistent with this president that he would not take any responsibility for his actions, for his words, for the outcomes related to his words. Um, but it's particularly horrifying when these words in this particular case resulted in the death of multiple people, including uh, the murder of a Capitol police officer who was beaten to death by insurrectionists. Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger is with us. She's a Democrat from uh, Virginia's 7th Congressional District. She serves on the House Committee of Foreign Affairs and the U.S. House Committee on Agriculture. She's a former federal agent with the U.S. Postal Inspection Service investigating money laundering and narcotics cases, as well as a former case officer with the CIA. Congresswoman, to follow up on this, what have you heard about the timetable purely from a procedural standpoint, about the impeachment proceedings tomorrow? So my understanding is that that vote will come up tomorrow. It is not yet clear to me. Uh, I have also been in transit, so uh, there might be updates that I have missed in the past couple hours. Uh, but I'm not sure of the times that that vote will occur. But as of right now, that, that vote is slated to occur tomorrow. In terms of how much how many Republicans you feel will vote for this? Have you spoken with any of your Republican colleagues? And, and, and do you think this will be a bipartisan effort? I, I will say this. I have had I have spoken to and heard from multiple Republicans who have said that his actions were impeachable. Whether they actually vote for impeachment remains to be seen, um, but, which I, I, I say that with great sadness and disappointment. Uh, but that is that is the case. Have you been told whether or not it's possible for there to be a Senate? And I know you're not in the Senate, but a Senate impeachment yeah. trial after inauguration, or is that still an unknown? You mean from a legal standpoint? From a legal standpoint, from, yeah. Yes. So uh, from a legal standpoint, there uh, there is not a set time frame. He does not still need to be a, set, a sitting member, or excuse me, a sitting president for the trial. So it it wouldn't have to be a scenario in which the trial occurs before inauguration day. Um, but but beyond that, uh, we we are aware that, in fact, it is wholly um, appropriate legal constitutional uh, for that uh, hearing to come up um, at whatever point in time we we bring the articles. The House delivers the articles to the Senate. I say this as a question, again, from a matter of process, but in the judicial sphere, so many trials, as you know, Congresswoman, it's mm -hmm. an opportunity to. Uh, interview individuals, to have individuals testify, to have evidence submitted for the record. And I'm, I'm curious, is there enough time to really launch a thorough investigation, not just about the horrific images that the world saw, but in truly understanding the planning that required yeah. for this? Yeah, no, and, and I think that gets back to your last question, because, you know, the House is 
section and, and part of the impeachment process is, is in the judicial system akin to the indictment. So is there enough to indict this president in the first place? Um, and, and certainly, uh, I believe that there is absolutely enough to indict this president just based on his public comments that were there for everyone, for the world to see, based on the fact that as there were uh, rioters and insurrectionists attacking the United States Capitol, um, beating police officers, that the best he could do was a statement saying, uh, we love you all. Um, so from an indictment standpoint, which is the House's role, absolutely. Um, when it comes to the actual trial and potential acquittal or conviction, you know, I do hope that there will be a trial uh, where the Senate chooses to bring in witnesses and see evidence. You know, notably, the last time this president was uh, impeached, the Senate decided that they just didn't need that type of uh, trial or evidence present- presented uh, with witnesses. So it is my 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 hope that they will, uh, condu- you know, presuming that impeachment will go through tomorrow, that whatever point in time we deliver the articles to the Senate, that they will conduct a full trial. Because, frankly, this is about the actions of this particular president. It is about the dangers of these sorts of actions. And I, I think for uh, a full accounting of what happened, how these attacks occurred, uh, that it is important that that trial um, have witnesses and have evidence presented in a more fulsome way than than the Senate was willing to do so in the last time the president um, uh, abused his power and uh, put personal gain above uh, above the needs and the safety of the country. I want to bring into this conversation Rick Davis, a partner at Stonecourt Capital, former campaign manager for John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign, and of course a Bloomberg Politics contributor. Rick, I mean, you, you listened to Congresswoman Spanberger there, and and just purely from a process procedural standpoint, we're in uncharted territory, Rick. Yeah, thank you, and and thank you very much, Representative Spanberger, for for being on. I I got the pleasure of uh, listening to your presentation to a board I'm on, Environmental Defense Fund, a little while ago, and you did a great job. So thank you for being thank there. You. And uh, and this is obviously a different time and a different topic. And uh, and and look, I mean, I, I I'm not surprised that there's a lot of confusion around uh, uh, something like this and impeachment at such a late date. And 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 I'm just kind of curious what the mood is inside of your caucus. I mean, you know, you're you're so looking forward to a new administration coming in. You just won a majority in in the United States Senate. Uh, clear skies for uh, uh, taking the Biden agenda and making it into law. And and this is obviously a jolt in a different direction. Understand the yeah. the need to be patriotic about it. But how do you feel like it's going to affect the agenda that 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 the country is expecting, which is more focus on COVID, more stimulus relief, and and issues relevant to sort of the ongoing functioning of the country? Well, I think, um, and calling it a jolt, I think, is a, is a very fair description. I, I think the reality is that we we can't ignore the, the ongoing threat that uh, has now um, been brought to the forefront in a really uh, spectacularly awful way. Uh, that threat being white nationalism, that threat being conspiracy theories that would, you know, lead people to uh, an insurrectionist attack on the United States Capitol. Um, I, there, everyone is really very heavy-hearted, um, and, and perhaps that's a, a light way to describe it. Yep. Because, you know, I want nothing more than to be talking about broadband internet programs and conservation policy and lowering the cost of prescription drugs. That's what. Uh, you know, I was dr- daydreaming of uh, when campaigning <laughs> for 
for my re-election. She's not and, kidding, uh, folks. She's really not kidding. Yeah. I promise. Hope my hope <laughs> is in a couple months I'll get to have a show where I ask you about that, Congresswoman. Literally but go ahead. Dreaming about Brian, I know. Um, and so, you know, the I, I wanted January 20th to be the day that I, as an individual, as a member of Congress, as an election official, never had to think of this president ever again. But we are at a place right now where, you know, generations into the future, kids will learn about what happened when there was an attack on the United States Capitol by domestic terrorists. Um, and this is a pivot point, I believe, where You know, we are a country of law and order. We are a country of accountability and responsibility. And we need uh, we need a full accounting of what happened. We need to ensure that generations into the future or, frankly, you know, politicians here and now who have chosen uh, to to hitch their political wagons to uh, conspiracy theories and fear mongering, uh, you know, uh, politics that traffic in lies. Um, that, that there is a clear delineation of what is appropriate and what is not. Yep. And that, that level of appropriateness is whether or not uh, elected officials and, and most importantly and most notably the President of the United States can indeed uh, incite an insurrection and whether that will go unnoticed, whether that for will, sure. well, it clearly didn't go unnoticed, but, you know, uh, unaccounted for. And, yep. and, and I don't think it can. And with a heavy heart and a you know, a, a real sadness that we don't get to just get to January 21st and focus on the things that will make people's lives better. We are in survival mode for our democracy at this point. You know, following up on that, uh, Congresswoman, there's been a lot of reporting in the last 48 hours about uh, how we got to where we are and some of the FBI warnings that were given to uh, capital authorities. You've got a background in, in intelligence and and, 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 and sort of law enforcement. I mean, U.S. Postal Inspection okay. is law enforcement at its prime. And, yep. uh, and, and, and even the notifications are uh, wrought with uh, concerns about uh, the future. Uh, evidently, yep. on January 17th, there's concerns about a far-right boogaloo movement uh, yep. taking guns to capitals. Uh, what, what's your sense of where we are now? I mean, it doesn't sound like we're done with this. I, I think we're in a desperately terrible place. Uh, we are in a place where there are multiple concurrent threat streams about what we should expect and who we should ex- expect at our nation's capital, at our state capitals. This is this is what happens when for two months straight um, elected officials say that votes were stolen, elections were stolen, despite state after state certifying um, the the outcomes of their elections with Republican legislatures and with Republican secretaries of state and with Republican governors. Um, this is what happens when people are willing to lie, lie, lie and put their eggs in the basket of conspiracy theories and frenzied fear. Um, we get to a place where, you know, after two months of saying they stole votes and the Democrats did this and these fake voting machines that did that, lies all the way, discounted all the way. Uh, it, it, it is, this is why we are at a place where there are and literally it, people who are fear, who think that their votes have been stolen and are arming themselves to kind of, quote unquote, take them back. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work 
passion and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. And it gets to the issue of intent and the investigation and the fundraising and the interviews and why I, as a reporter, I, you know, who believes in the process, that process is so incredibly, incredibly important. A follow-up to that, and, and Rick, you brilliantly just really characterized that, and, and Congresswoman Spamberger, I appreciate your time. How do we as a society, though, facilitate, without question, without question, has been a dramatic increase in political violence, dare I say, around the world, and and... Mm-hmm. Big tech has been brought into this conversation. Uh, the media has been brought into this conversation. But from your perspective, from your personal background, how can we get political violence as a whole to decline? I mean, it, you know, I think if I had an easy answer to that, uh, I, I, I would have stood up waving my hands a long time ago, screaming for people to, to listen to me. But the, the real challenge is there, there isn't an easy answer. And there isn't an easy answer so long as those with the most powerful uh, loudspeakers and the most powerful voices are willing to say anything to maintain power, are willing to get on the House floor within hours of police officers being beaten to death and say, oh, no, 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 it was really Antifa. There's People are saying... Right. Which actually happened. You've been um, really so, candid about about the, the, the need for there to be a much more pragmatic tone, not just yeah. uh, on the right, but also on the left, to be quite frank with you. And I, I guess as a lawmaker, as an elected official, and, and clearly you're talking to the business community right now, but as an elected official, does that frustrate you that the political culture so to speak and i'm not talking about culture like on twitter i'm talking about people the fundraising and and the whole culture is kind of fueled and 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 really juxtaposed in all of this no i mean and and it it is the culture right it's the culture of fear and it it's it's gotten so much worse in the past couple years where you know people will say and you know get on a couple fundraising emails from different sides of the aisle um you know and and particularly i'm a democrat but for quite a few republican members of congress if you get on their email list uh you will get emails about how you know the socialists are taking over the world and you know the the democrats are all you know they want to take everything and they want to do this and et cetera et cetera which like isn't true you know and i've read the 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 fundraising emails that were run sort of against me in my last campaign uh, by my opponent were comical. Here I am, a former CIA officer, a former federal agent, endorsed by the Chamber of Commerce. You know, and it, it, like the list goes on and on. And you would have thought that, you know, I'm, 
right out of the I, Castro I School of Communism. I don't want to give them the audio clip because someone will say like, oh, sorry. But even the fact, even the fact that you have to think like that, I don't want to give them the audio clip. I mean, it, that's yeah, the, the that's the culture. About how ridiculous it is, and because there will be like that will be there somewhere, and the level of dishonesty yep. like is 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 unthinkable and it's unproductive. It is so unproductive and. You know, what's, what's really challenging is it's made it so that we can't disagree anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, I have taken to saying it with, with colleagues and in groups that I've talked to, you know, the only place seemingly in the world where we are expo- expected to have 100% um, agreement in, in our opinions is now in, within the realm of politics. You know, in my marriage, with my children, <laughs> with my sisters, in my prior workforces, like when I was a student, like all of these places you expect disagreement and differences of opinion. And typically that is supposed to, you know, make things better or bring a broadened view or challenge your notions of what the world are, et cetera, et cetera, except in politics. In politics, if you do not think in a particular way, then the most kind of histrionic of allegations are thrown at you. And yes, you know, there's definitely places where some of my Republican colleagues disagree with me, but holy smokes, that does not make me like a a threat to all that, you know, to apple pie and, you know, <laughs> peanut butter. I mean, well, it's Congresswoman, it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really good point. And, and, and let me ask you a question about where we are today, because there was life before last week and yeah. then there's now. And and I get the impression that there's a lot of retrospection going on in Congress, in the Senate and the House on some of these issues you just described. I mean, you really articulated well that the morass we're in is a, pol- a political nation. And the question I would ask is, do you see this horrible event actually resulting in some positives in the tone and substance of our political debates? So, I mean, my answer is, what's the alternative, right? The, the alternative, if the answer to that question is no, then the outcome is so horrific, I refuse to think about it. Um, I refuse mm. to acknowledge that as a possibility. That's powerful. Go ahead. Um, so I'm going to have to say, yes, we will come out of this, but we will only come out of this if people across the spectrum say, you know what, this, this is a low point. This is a low point for our nation. Um, and, and I, you know, there are many people who should demonstrate some level of contrition. Um, and if they choose to do so privately, that's fine. But what I would like to see is, you know, many of my colleagues who are now saying, oh, we need unity, and including those who didn't feel that unity was necessary in the hours following a siege upon the Capitol uh, and voted to uh, not honor the election results of Arizona and or Pennsylvania. You know, those same individuals now calling for unity, that, that's a little bit hard for some of us to take when, you know, there was literally still... Uh, you know, blood on the ground from where police officers had been beaten, and that was not a time for unity, not a time for moving on. And all of a sudden, suddenly, you know, now they've suddenly changed their now tune. It is, and you know right? what? I'm I'm willing, to some degree, to accept that change of a tune if there is some level of accountability. And you know, I don't mean necessarily public shaming. What you know, in different different circumstances, different scopes and levels of accountability and culpability. But if people If there is a moment where in their hearts they say, my God, boy, all those fundraising emails where I was saying that the world was coming to an end because Democrats are terrible. And now, look, 
there's literally threat streams of people who just want to kill and, Democrats. And I have to interject, Maybe and vice versa. And vice versa, though. I mean, and I think that's, it, you know, and, and we're clearly just only a couple, well, less than I, a week after. Push, I am going to push back on the both sides because, you know, the, the most extremes on, you know, the, the concerns about giving, a, like, you know, a lot of free stuff and this and that, like, that's, that's very different from the rhetoric of we're losing we're losing our country you need to stop the democracy so how do we get past that because when i talk and i and i mean this from a very as a journalist when i talked to two senior staffers yesterday congressman abigail spanberger is with us democrat from virginia what they said is people are kevin people are calling us murderers and and these are low-level staffers and from their perspective you know they feel the same are they the the same passion that that you are are espousing that everyone's espousing right now? I mean, I wonder: Are we past the place where where you and your Republican colleagues can sit down, leave the cameras away, and and actually have a conversation like the one me, you, and Rick Davis are having right now? <laughs> a broadcast out to many, many more people. Um, <laughs> you know, so this I mean, this is this is something I care deeply about. Um, I care deeply about bipartisanship. Um, and, and I'm a proud Democrat, um, but I believe that we make the best movement forward as a nation when we endeavor to bring more people to the table. It's a member, it's a reason why I've chosen to be part of a group called the Problem Solvers Caucus, half Democrats, half Republicans. You know, and, and frankly, you know, it's, it's for those of us who really do prioritize bipartisanship, this has been a really tough time. And we've had really hard conversations with people, you know, we, I don't mind disagreeing over tax policy or prescription drug pricing or, you know, how we handle campaign finance reform. But the very basics of kind of who we are as a people, this is a this is a much harder, deeper, more emotional kind of gut place for us to be having conversations and arguments. But but I think it is more important now than ever. Right. Families are being torn apart because of this. Um, You know, so many of us have family members and family schisms because of the angry rhetoric. And so to, you know, there's, well, the there's been bloodshed, are, right? I mean, this is even right. more extreme. That's we got to right. leave it there, unfortunately. Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, uh, really appreciate your time. Democrat from Virginia, please come back on anytime. And hopefully, hopefully in a couple of weeks, we can talk about policy. I, I really appreciate the time. Rick's going to stay with me. I'm Kevin Cerilli. Much more coming up. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Uh, We're following multiple developments tonight. This as the House gets set to impeach President Trump tomorrow. But a major, major new development on the impeachment front. And that is Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, reportedly via the New York Times, suggesting that he, in fact, is happy with the vote that's happening tomorrow because it will make it more difficult for President Trump to have grasp over the Republican Party uh, should he be convicted in trial 
in the Senate. Rick Davis is with me, partner at Stonecore Capital, former campaign manager for John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign. He's a Bloomberg politics contributor. And Chuck Roach is back, former senior advisor for Bernie Sanders' 2020 and 2016 presidential campaign, author of the book T.O. Bernie, the inside story of how Bernie Sanders brought Latinos into the political revolution. Uh, Chuck, welcome back. I, I mean, you hear that Leader McConnell has given, at least reportedly, a, a behind-the-scenes endorsement. That's a major development and would suggest that similar to how House Republicans will not be whipping the vote for Republicans in order to prevent them from voting to impeach President Trump, that Leader McConnell essentially is telling Lisa Murkowski's Mitt Romney, those are two off the top of my head, Susan Collins, there's a third, uh, Ben Sass, that he's okay if they vote to convict. Yeah, and I was kind of shocked by that, but not shocked at the same time. You kind of got to break this up, and, and you and Rick both get this, is that he has now lost his majority by, it's, so it's tied. So it's as close as it could ever be. And me, Chuck Roach, a political consultant, I don't lobby. I don't do public policy. I run campaigns for a living. And we worked on 100 campaigns last year in my firm. So we get to see the nation from a broad spectrum. And what the Senate majority leader, soon to be minority leader, is looking at is a bunch of tough Senate races in 2022. And how does he position himself and his senators to win back his majority? And it could be in a healthy way. So you have states like Wisconsin with Johnson. You have an open seat in Pennsylvania. Is this starting to sound like a battleground uh, presidential thing to y'all? It should. Florida, Nevada, Arizona. These are all places where he can win back his majority. So this has a lot to do with that. If you think Mitch McConnell gives a, almost said a bad word. Here's Please don't. I, you know what? I can't get in trouble. Go ahead. He don't care at all about the House and crazy folks over in the House that are, you know, right-wing, ideologue, crazy people. He cares about winning back the Senate. And in blue-collar industrial states like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, and where he needs the Latino vote to show up at the same level as they did for Donald Trump in Florida, do a little better in Arizona and Nevada, then he's in the game. So that's what he's looking at in my humble political opinion. Well, Chuck, you mentioned Pennsylvania. You knew I, I grew up outside of Philly, Delco. And tomorrow we're going to have Lieutenant Governor uh, John Fetterman on, who has announced that he is going to be uh, running for Senate in the battleground state of Pennsylvania as a Democrat. Uh, so there's a make sure you, you listen to that interview because he has really been trying to build sort of a national uh, profile. Uh, you come in here, Rick Davis. I mean, you hear that outline. Let me play for you what Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer had to say. The other Chuck, Chuck Rocha. Um, <laughs> let me let me play for you what Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer had to say because we've got sound on this process and how it's playing out. Here he is. Leader McConnell has the ability to call us back into session, and we can then move to convict Donald Trump try on the impeachment trial and try him and that's what we hope mcconnell will do rick i know you've got a question for chuck rocha but i mean to to put it this way and i i think we hit this with congresswoman spamberger there's a process here and the narrative and the investigation dare i say is very important here about how we even got to the planning stages of what happened last week 
Yeah, I think that uh, there's so much going on. I mean, it's hard to deconstruct all these you know, massive issues. Any given time, this would do one of these would dominate mm -hmm. the entire news cycle for weeks. But uh, you have a lot of layers of this. And just to unravel, unwrap some of that layer, I think what, what, what Chuck has said about uh, Mitch McConnell's motivations is spot on. Um, Mitch McConnell has a party of one thing, power. Yeah, GOP, Democrat, those things are nice labels, but what he cares about is if he has the power, he can create change. He's very proud of all the conservative judges that he put through over the last you know, four years, and, and, and he wants that power to do that again. And so uh, he is going to uh, moderate his uh, public statements to allow a uh, more uh, aggressive campaign to be waged starting right now. I mean, in two years, you're going to have another election, and that's where you see Mitch McConnell. What he has said to date is that, you know, the Senate's out, and we're coming back on the 19th. He hasn't said much about impeachment, although the reporting that you've just talked about uh, earlier in the show uh, indicates that um, you know, maybe he's got a soft spot in his heart for impeachment nowadays. Well, uh, that's it. I mean, does he have the I mean, because if he does convict President Trump in an impeachment trial, you know, this Rick Davis partner at Stonecourt Capital, former campaign manager for John McCain's presidential campaign. That means Donald Trump cannot run for office again. And is that is that the, the strategy, for lack of a better word, for Leader McConnell, in addition to whatever concerns he might have. Well, I know there are 20 Republicans eyeing the presidential race in 2024 yep. who would really appreciate that. And if they were all senators, they'd probably all vote to convict. Um, but th th we can't we can't predict that. All right. That's that's a long way off uh, in the political spectrum. One week is like an immense amount of activity. You look what's going to happen tomorrow in the House of Representatives. You know, a week ago, we weren't even talking about impeachment. I mean, this is moving so quickly that it's hard for everybody, you know, forget the public, uh, hardened professional hacks like myself and Chuck are having a hard time keeping up with this movement. And so I, I, I do think... I do think one of the questions I had, because Chuck is such an expert, you know, on the Hispanic vote and, and where that is. Let's let's just take a slice of this discussion and say, what's happening in that community? Because there was there was some soft spots in their hearts for for uh, Donald Trump in this last election cycle. And how are they reacting to uh, this current activity? Because we, we don't get a good view in there very often. And with Chuck here, I thought we'd take an opportunity. Well, it's a great question, and thanks for bringing that up. I think what we saw in the last election were, and this is not surprising to operatives like Rick, is that you had almost a state-by-state -state variable. And if another white person says to me, Latinos aren't a monolith, I might knock them upside the head. But what I'm saying is, is, of course, we're not a monolith. And you and Rick knows that Cubans that are registered as Republicans act a lot different than woke Mexicans like me from Texas who are from uh, Northeast Texas, who think about things as a working class, blue collar factory worker, which I'm all of those things. And I sound like an old white man and I wear a cowboy hat. And I wear boots. I sound and talk like a white redneck from East Texas. And when I vote, I vote a lot that way. And that's just part of what Donald Trump figured out. And this was his secret sauce in winning way more votes amongst Latinos in the border counties of Texas and how he did so much better in Miami-Dade, is he spent some time and money to have a conversation. I would disagree with some of his methods and him mm -hmm. leading some of those folks to false narratives, but kudos to him strategically for having a conversation with an electorate okay. that many times my own party takes for uh, granted.
Well, and I would say, can, can I be critical of the industry? Am I allowed to do that with the microphone? I would say the media oh, just so egregiously lumps everyone, no matter what the area is, as, as a lump. Coming up, we're going to talk much more with uh, Chuck Rocha and Rick Davis. And uh, we're also going to discuss the security measures for the inauguration because James Comey spoke to the Today Show, Savannah Guthrie on NBC News, and he had a lot to say about it, and we've got the sound on it. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Rick Davis is with me. Chuck Roach is with me as well. Rick, of course, Bloomberg Politics contributor and the campaign manager for John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign. Chuck is a senior advisor for Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign for president in 2020 and 2016. Name me another show who could get the, the top advisors for McCain and Bernie Sanders on together. Breaking news, headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal. Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney is going to vote to impeach President Trump, the third highest ranking Republican official in the House of Representatives, coming out with a blistering statement against President Trump, quoting from it, quote, much more will become clear in coming days and weeks, but what we know now is enough. The President of the United States summoned this mob, assembled the mob, and lit the flame of this attack. Everything that followed was his doing. None of this would have happened without the president. The president could have immediately and forcefully intervened to stop the violence. He did not. There has never been a greater betrayal by a president of the United States of his office and his oath to the Constitution. I will vote to impeach the president. End quote. That, again, is a direct statement from Congresswoman Liz Cheney, a Republican from Wyoming, the third highest ranking official, the chairwoman of the Republican conference, voting to impeach the president, Rick Davis, on the eve of the second impeachment vote. Kevin, as really fantastic reporting, I mean, this is this is big news. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Congresswoman Cheney is the third ranking Republican in the House of Representatives as the chairman of the House conference. 
She's a nationally known figure because of being the daughter of the uh, George Bush's vice president, Dick Cheney. And she's been an outspoken conservative. Uh, so she she carries some weight in the Republican community. And for her to come out with this definitive Sherman-esque statement mm-hmm. about the president's conduct. Uh, and, and I think it's it's key to focus on the fact that she attributes the summonsing of the mob and the assembling of the mob and the flaming the attack is is roles he played. We we we've right now thought of President Trump's conduct as being he showed up at the event, he fired up the crowd, and he sent him to Capitol Hill to do damage. And and now in her statement indicates he might have had much deeper involvement in 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 the organizing and execution of this. And if that's the case, it will only include it will only create more impetus toward uh, Republicans voting for impeachment in the House and more pressure on Mitch McConnell to bring impeachment to the Senate. Based upon my own reporting, I spoke with one source who told me that Rudy Giuliani has summoned his former chief of staff from his time in the New York mayor's office to Washington, D.C., as they go over uh, what they feel is intense, to put it mildly, legal scrutiny that they will face not just in the Washington, D.C. district-level courts, but also in battleground states, Michigan, Wisconsin, and yes, Pennsylvania. We'll be asking that tomorrow to uh, John Fetterman, a Democrat lieutenant governor of the state, when he joins me. Chuck Rocha, do you, a former senior advisor to Bernie Sanders, do you agree with Congresswoman Liz Cheney? Of course I do. And I appreciate her uh, getting out there because back to politics, away from this public policy thing, but Ms. Cheney would love to be the first Republican woman speaker of the house and how do you distinguish yourself against a bunch of other white dudes that are conservatives that are crazy trumpers is you go out there and do something to stand on something that's going to make you different than them and you believe in it and it is very powerful right so what's going to happen and i don't want to act like i'm an expert in republican politics but as somebody who's <laughs> going to make a lot of tv commercials that shows what happened on tuesday to get democrats elected to congress in two years i'm telling you that half of that caucus is going to be lined up with Trump because they don't want Trump running somebody against them in the primary. And the other ones are going to be on the Liz Cheney side. And they have a really good shot. Again, this is the Democratic, progressive, left-wing, Mexican redneck giving you this prediction. There is a chance, and a good chance, that Republicans can pick up the House majority in an off year where Democrats control the White House. Well, when they're looking for a leader to be their speaker, who's just distinguished themselves in a caucus if, big if, if she wins enough seats under that banner and the Trumpers don't win a bunch of primaries and they have the majority in that caucus, at least she's positioned herself as a 50-50 shot to take that mantle, which is huge for her. Chuck, and I, and I say this respectfully, how, how hampered is President Donald Trump uh, beyond uh, when, he re- when he leaves office with regards to Fox News at the Murdoch's uh, have criticized him. Uh, Twitter has deactivated his account. How much of a viable fundraising person is he? Has he been hindered by those actions that I just laid out? Let me say two things. One is, let's separate two things. He has not been hindered when it comes to his impact in presidential, I mean, not presidential, but in primaries and an off-year election. Because he will still have influences there. His son can still tweet. There's other ways for him to get his message out there. And so... He has a way more, a way more. He has a bigger impact in that primary election where the electorate is smaller. They're more rapid or, or rab, rabid around his ideological thinking. 
Now, when you get to a general election, he still has some impact district by district. But if you just look at the marginal seats where the Republicans can win back the House, he won't have as much influence as he will in a primary where he will have immense influence. Rick, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, he's he's exerted his primary influence, you know, where smaller groups of voters, you know, uh, homogeneously Republicans vote to elect somebody uh, f- to carry their banner in the general election. I, I would say I'm not sure I give him too much credit for a general. I mean, he, we just saw his impact on a general election. Both Republicans from Georgia should have probably won re-election in a pretty solidly Republican state in the past. And and it was Donald Trump's conduct in the last 60 days of that election that, that drove voters to the Democratic side. And when you sign up for the Trump bandwagon in a primary, you're stuck with him in the general. And that has become more common knowledge. That's become now the, the philosophy that you're, you're really damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And so I do think what Chuck is pointing out, which is Republican leadership – uh, in the House are looking to the future and trying to figure out how to dislocate themselves from Donald Trump in an effort to try and, one, get stronger candidates in the primary, and two, ensure that they have the best message in the general election. I mean, you'll notice that even the minority leader, uh, Kevin McCarthy, has told Republicans, like yep. Liz Cheney, do what you want to do on this thing of impeachment. You know, go your own way. And this is a guy who savagely disciplined Republicans in the House to do whatever Donald Trump told them to do. Well, I think that's a great point. And for folks following along with us, I mean, we're on our Bloomberg Terminal IB show chat. And one of our producers, Matt Shirley, just said, you know, this is process wise fascinating. The decision by Representative Kevin McCarthy of California, the minority leader, to not officially lean on lawmakers to vote against the move constituted a subtle shift away from the president by a close ally in the past and including the last time President Trump was impeached by the House, McCarthy and House leaders lobbied Republicans intensely to stand behind President Trump on nearly every issue. It's a fascinating development. Again, if you're just joining us, the number three uh, Republican in the House of Representatives, the chair of the House Republican Co- Republican uh, Committee, uh, Liz Cheney, has said that she will vote to impeach the president. I do want to hit this other development about security on inauguration. I know it's on the minds of millions of Americans and many in this nation's capital tonight. James Comey uh, spoke to NBC's The Today Show earlier today to Savannah Guthrie. I've got sound on what he had to say about whether or not state capitals have the ability to protect themselves. Take a listen. Well, law enforcement definitely can handle these kinds of riots, attacks, and civil disturbances. If they have the information they need and they prepare this is something law enforcement was built for. Again, what's so painful about the Capitol is the lack of preparation. But adequately prepared, the 50 states can secure their capitals and the United States can secure its capital. Very quickly, final word, Chuck Rocha, as well as uh, Rick Davis in like 10 seconds. I mean, are you confident that, that uh, law enforcement understands the severity of the threat coming uh, next week and that they can handle it, Chuck? I live 15 blocks behind the U.S. Capitol, and I live three blocks from the National Armory, and I run every morning by that armory. And if you've seen the change over there in the last week of the weapons that they have stacked up over there, they're expecting something, and it makes me really nervous. Yeah, I well think said. Chuck, well said. Well said, but I worry about state capitals. I think everyone's now focused on the U.S. Capitol. 
but the attacks are also planned at the state capitals. And so I hope that state law enforcement takes us seriously. I hope and I pray. My thanks to Chuck Rocha. Uh, my thanks to Rick Davis. And my thanks to you for listening. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com uh, or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. Uh, you can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Tomorrow we've got Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman and Rick Davis, Pennsylvania politics at the forefront. At the forefront, Rick. Yeah, it'll be exciting. This is a wonderful time to be talking about what's happening in Pennsylvania. It's a key place, and the country needs Pennsylvania to be stable. And I go back to the notion of whether or not what he can tell us about legal lawsuits in these battleground states who are really going to be investigating into those who perpetuated the myth, conspiracy, uh, and peddled it. And, and the again, the what evidence is submitted for the record and what we know about how we got here so we never get there again. Thanks for listening. This is Bloomberg. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.